0: Welcome to PharmaTalk Radio, I'm Kate Woda. I'm delighted to share a presentation from the 2019 Patients as Partners US Conference on the topic of how Novartis includes patient input into all aspects of a clinical study. This session is led by Therese Johnson, Associate Director of Patient Engagement Management at Novartis, who demonstrates how the patient perspective is included from the earliest planning of a clinical trial and how it impacted design Trial sites and the patient experience throughout the study. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Thanks. Um, I'm Therese Johnson. I'm at Novartis, and my role is patient engagement management. And I just want to clarify we've just had two excellent speakers, so I want to make sure you're in the right place. Um, I'm going to cover what I'm doing at Novartis. Um, with clinical trials and patients, and then I'm going to go a little deeper into our um, patient advisory meetings and the process that we use. Um, so I've been in um, patient engagement now since 2014. Um, I, at the time, worked in global drug development on feasibility, feasibility enrollment and recruitment um, for our global gen meds trials. And then about a year and a half ago, I moved over to our U.S. site. So I'm a U.S. local person within Novartis. And I work on um, in the areas of ophthalmology, um, neuroscience, so our non-oncology areas. Um, So that's an important thing to know as you think about where I am because there are hundreds of people working in patient engagement. We actually have it as a real culture. And in the division that I work in, in um, USCDMA, so Clinical Development and Medical Affairs, I'm working on trials that are 3B and 4. So they're either close to approval or post-approval, looking at different indications, different subpopulations. And as um, we heard earlier at the large meeting with Juliet Merck was saying, that's actually a difficult space. It's easy from one perspective because um, the trials tend to be, they're getting larger, but they tend to be smaller. They tend to be shorter and faster, um, which brings challenges. But the teams are very sensitive to the fact that they're up for submission with a health authority. So they're nervous. Um, So, I'm going to talk to you about what our process has been. I'm really proud about what we're doing, but as we've heard repeatedly, it's a journey. I look at it as continuous process improvement because of my old portal development brain, but what it means is we're constantly learning and we're constantly shifting and changing. Um, I did need to mention, I forgot, um, that everything that I speak about is my opinion. It's not necessarily um, Novartis's position. So this is a quick graph um, just to give you an idea of where we're going. It's pretty. Um, But I think it's really important because what I'm trying to say is there are so many stakeholders in the process, whether you're talking about the scientists, the medical directors that are designing the study, the key opinion leaders, the physicians that are helping in that. And then you have this wonderful, um, our patients, so our advocates that are representing patients and are very knowledgeable, our vendors that are working with patients, and then we have our caregivers and the whole patient ecosystem at home and who they do deal with, deal with. And we want to get all of that. Into our discussion about what we're studying, what we're doing with the drug. And from there, then we want to embed it into our trials. And we've heard this word before, and I'm so excited um, how much we're hearing empowerment. I see on a frequent basis: How our interactions can empower patients, advocates, caregivers, where they they walk out really feeling much stronger. It's the the key thing, though, is how do we continue that, and how do we keep it that when they're in our studies, then they have that same sense. Um, and of course, I'm talking about clinical development, so trials. But there is a much wider um, discussion out there, whether you're talking about the, the drug, um, the product, and how we presented what the label is on the shelf, you know, um, that those conversations continue. And I should also note that I often partner with our different groups around the organization internally where I'll have consumer insight and market insight involved, and I'll talk about that in a minute. So on this slide, I'm very, very quickly outlining, I hope you can see and read it, um, many of the different ways that we typically involve the patient voice in the trial. So we start very early, and it actually has, doesn't have to do with the trials at some point, um, working with our patient advocacy groups. So internally in Novartis, we have an advocacy, internal advocacy group um, in the U.S there's a regional European, and then there's a global group. So there are uh, folks, colleagues, that work full-time partnering with um, different community bloggers and advocates that work in the areas that we're either currently doing research or we might be, because we know it takes a long time to develop the trust and the relationship and the conversation. And these conversations, again, are not limited to clinical trials, but we um, really go to our advocates. Um, for uh, strong participation in our um, insight groups. So the next thing um, on that list that's really Important is back in 2014 when we were, um, we actually had a patient engagement work stream in our trial operations in global development. We developed a, cool, a tool called a patient needs assessment. And if you're in Transcellary and you know the PPET tool, it's very similar. Um, The idea is that very early on, we want to understand what do we know internally about the patient so that we're not going out and asking the same patients, the same patient groups, the same questions over and over. So let's share that information. We also have some of that information posted on internal portals. But in this needs assessment, we have a cross-divisional, cross-functional meeting with the program or the trial team, where we talk about do we, and there's actually lists of questions um, from a patient perspective, and we look, do we know the answer from the patient? Now, I'll tell you, trial teams really struggle with this because they think they know the answer. And you say to them, well, did you get that from a patient? Well, no. We know this because we're a physician or we, we, no, 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 no. Do we know that the patients think this? So from that tool and that series of meetings, we then start to get an idea. And now I'll tell you at this point, Lonnie, have you had a patient on your needs assessment? Meeting unless they're an internal person that no. So that's our next. Yes, yes. Um Lonnie and I work together. Lonnie is now in um is still in global. So um we haven't yet had a patient at that meeting unless they are a Novartis colleague that has um the disorder, so or condition. So from this tool we then create a strategy, and start to understand what type of engagement we might need. So social listening often happens anyway, but whether we're talking about having a patient steering committee, adding a patient to a steering committee, having focus groups around specific areas because, you know, one meeting doesn't cover it, so um, you want to look at the different ways of engagement, or having a patient advisory meeting that may be one or multiple days or multiple times. Point in time. So um, we also have, um, we set up online bulletin boards where we can then ask some of these questions. Um, as I said, we might uh, work with social listening. So all of this, online bulletin boards are um, set up often with the partnership of advocacy groups. So these are Actual patients and their regular patients—they might have be educated in the trial process, but often they're not. And the medical director has that direct engagement, so they ask questions. The patients ask for clarification. They give some advice, um, you know. So it's an interactive forum, but it has its limitations. And you know, um, I am a major advocate. Of the patient advisory meeting. I've been in so many of them where, um, and we're constantly changing and morphing them, and I'll talk about that in a little bit. But um, I find those incredible um, opportunities to hear things that you didn't think about to ask. Where when you're looking at data, that's not really coming to you. But if you're in a meeting, and I was going to cover this in a minute, but if you're in a meeting and Something gets ma- mentioned, you know, some comorbidity or some side, some problem that patients are having. And a patient stands up and says, wait, 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 I want to ask a question. How many of you, meaning the patients and the advocates, have this experience and all the hands go up? We'd never thought of that. We'd never experienced that particular issue. And sometimes my hand goes up. No. Um, because, you know, it's, it's just really an amazing experience. So um, something that we do, we um, engage with patients in interviews, and it can be one-on-one interviews, we partner with a number of third-party vendors. I'm the only person in my part of the organization that does what I do. Um, So, I am dependent on the uh, interactions internally, the support of the head of CDMA, but also my vendor partners um, and, of course, the advocacy groups that help us do this. So something we've done um, and we're trying to get better at is trial simulations at the investigative meeting where we actually um, run through a particular sticky point. So for instance, we might have a patient group that doesn't typically do biologicals, and now we have to introduce that patient to biologicals. And we interview patients with that question and then take their language, and I'll tell you, we partnered with Healthy Vibe on this, we take their verbatim language and embed that into the trial simulation. We had a lot of lessons learned in our first one. Um, We didn't leave enough time for discussion with the investigator site. So we sort of went through it like it was almost a play. Um, And when we asked questions, there wasn't a lot of uptake on that. But it was also the first time that a lot of investigators had seen that. Um, But we learned we need to really talk about it ahead of time. Um, So that was one thing. Another thing we did is we had a patient with the condition attend the investigator meeting and then talk with us afterward about what they thought, you know. What did they think about the protocol? What did they think about the meetings? What did they think about the investigators and their perspective? Um, So that was interesting. And I think it's something that we can develop further. Um, meaning that I think we could get more out of the the interaction. We got an awful lot. I want to make sure the patients are also getting something out of it and that the investigators are part of the discussion and not just being presented to. So all of our trials in the U.S., and this means um, the phase three and four, but it can also be our global trials. Are using a tool called the trial feedback questionnaire. This was developed at GSK, and we have embedded it. It's a va- it's a validated questionnaire for the patient in our trials. So it's anonymous. The data again, we're partnering with Healthy Vibe. Um, the data is collected second, uh, separate from our trial data. I would say we're in. Um, third quarter of pilot phase almost. You know, we're almost there, um, but we're still learning constantly. Um, so what happens is the, the patient opts into this trial um, feedback questionnaire. It's embedded into the ePro device. We do have a standard um, questionnaire that we then have customized for specific trials. So we have a custom version um, for our AMD trial, and we're looking at a custom version for another study where the questions, we need to know a little more about um, how our trial is um, being explained to the patients and what the, and we got that actually from the patients during an advisory board. Um, They wanted to give us more information about their experience. You guys hear a lot about thank you letters and the plain language summary. Every study um, has a thank you letter at the first visit and also at the last visit. The thank you letter lets the patients know, that individual patient, um, and we are getting to the point where we can provide them their um, information as well at one of those are one of the time points, but we're not there yet. But the thank you letter tells the patient when to expect the plain language summary for their study. Since they could enroll early on, midpoint, you know, they really don't have a sense of um, when they would hear about the results. So um, we tell them within their thank-you letter that, you know, this study will go on for 18 months, two years, and that after the study is completed, there'll be an analysis, and then that the clinical study report. So we do have a requirement that that plain language summary can't go out until the clinical study report um, is just about published, if not posted. So I'm going to move quickly on this um, because, actually, I don't have a lot of time. Um, I did want to say these slides will be posted so you'll be able to get more information. Um, This slide is just showing you some of the ways that we take that patient information, but I really wanted to get to the Trial Patient Insight meeting. Um, We do use it for uh, changing and looking at our assessments, our visits. You know, we just recently had one on a virtual trial um, that we're planning and looking at what that engagement would look like, what is the device, you know, um, how does that sit with the patient in their day-to-day experience so that we can get those inputs. And then we talked about some of those feedbacks already. So the important, I'm just going to cover, since there's a lot on here, all of it's important. Um, But some of the things that I wanted to, the the two-way relationship with our advocacy groups is critically important. Um, I can't say that enough. We already talked about understanding what are those patient knowledge gaps and um, creating a strategy and understanding what you already know and then what you don't know so that now you build a meeting, a patient advisory meeting, that takes those questions so you can put them in front of um, patients. Our meetings typically include advocates, the patients with the condition, I want to say regular patients, as well as um, actually they tend to be the less educated about the trial process, their care partners. We also will try to include an HCP, whether it's a nurse or a trial coordinator that works um, commonly with those patients. We have a robust internal governance process, which I say that with a little quirk. Um, On that governance team, they review every ad board that we're going to have, and that has our legal, our ethics group, our data privacy people. Their role is to challenge why we want to meet with patients face-to-face. Their role is also to ensure that we're not um, asking questions that would be better asked by another group or more appropriate and that we're really focused on trials and what we're doing with trials. We have a process. Now, the identification of our patients, we may identify patients working with our advocate groups. We may also work with some of our third-party vendors. Novartis has a relationship with Health Advocacy Strategies where we set up, um, and it was actually designed on our marketing side, we have um, patients that have opted in to work with us in a variety of ways. As we work in indications that we're not, we don't have a long track record, um, we do work with investigators who have done trials with us before or specialize in a particular area. Those patients still opt in. So the investigator is asked to look in their database. We then provide a letter to the patient that the investigator gives to the patient. The patient then contacts our third party. To protect their privacy, they assure, they make sure that the patient is opting in, they set up the consultancy agreement, and then we can have an interaction. We can start our process. We do have a one page, one and a half page patient consultancy agreement. This is brand new. Um, it happened over the holidays um, in January. We went from an eight or nine page. And we're still tweaking it because every time we use it with patients, we get feedback. So what my point is that we try to make patient insights part of our process and that so we're actually doing an update right We did an update right away. Um, some of our language can be scary. So um, we're trying to make it more transparent. Something else we're adding is patients in the U.S may not realize, even though they're consulting, and I've said this before, even though they're consulting with a global company, if they come to our US site or a US hotel, they may think that insight is staying with that group and in the US. We need to make sure that they know our teams are global. And that insight, it's shared anonymously, but it's shared across um, countries. I'm out of time. I talked a little faster when I was on my own. Um, so why don't we ask? Why don't you guys ask questions? Um, let's let's do a few questions. I know we're we're gonna open for lunch, but um, oh, I'm little, between you and Mary. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Great program and what you're doing. It's incredible. Um, any questions? Yes. Uh, T.J. Sharp, patient advocate. My question is, when you went from eight pages to one for the the yeah. contract, what did you cut out? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, we actually did an assessment that a lot of the legal and risk-protecting wasn't necessary. So it was literally a simplification of the language. So it's very, very simple. Um, and we're actually going to, at this point, we've realized it's still... Pharma is amazing. It's still pharma-centric, you know. So, what the change that we're ma- making is to look how do we protect the patient as well, and that transparency of data is part of what's going into it. Oops. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Marla. Marla Jan Wexler, patient advocate. Um, a question about the post-trial thank you letters. Yeah. If, if the uh, patient that's uh participated in the trial has a bad outcome, whether they die or uh have to leave the trial. Do does the family or that patient still receive a well, thank you, Lenny? Yeah, that's a really good question. We've had so many discussions about this, particularly in an oncology area. Um what I can tell you happens, and we are thinking and working on this when we put together um, the plain language summary. We work with Syscript primarily on this. We also work with UBC. But a package goes to the site, and it's for the investigator to return to the patient or the patient's family. Something else I didn't talk about is at our investigator meetings, we now train the investigators at the IM about our patient insights and the things that we've embedded because that can be a gap. Where um, it might be in the protocol or the ICF, but we find it's really helpful to have that um, at an investigative meeting. I think we need to pay more attention to that piece. Thanks for bringing it up. Thank you, Marla. Um, any last questions back here? Okay. Um, Therese, that was just excellent. Can we have a round of applause for Therese? Thank you. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. For more information, visit theconferenceforum.org. Thanks for listening.